You're listening to Let's Talk AI. Good day and welcome to Let's Talk AI. Today's guest is Helen Chen, Professor of Practice in the School of Public Health Sciences. Welcome, Helen. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, excellent. Well, you know, it's uh, it's really great to have you. And, and you know, I'd like to launch in and, and figure out, you know, who's Helen and, 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 you know, what got you into this whole direction? So so how did it start for you? How did you get into AI? Yeah, okay. So first, probably you have to say how I ever even get into the health at all. I have three degrees trained in engineering. I have a PhD from our civil engineering. Uh, quite many years ago, and uh, so for computing, right? So at that time, we stu- we study using computing to study the structures and the, to study how the system interact with each other. And for my particular PhD, I study with Wen, Professor Wayne Broadland, and uh, to understand how the biological cellular level structure interact with each other. So from there, you can see that I wandering through. Uh, into the School of Public Health. At that time, it's uh, public health and the health systems. I studied from actually study, understand how the information is managed in a massive information systems used by the hospitals, by the imaging labs. That's how I started. And But eventually, especially with the COVID, we all know data is just so important. So now we have a digital public health, the school uh, changed its name quite recently of School of Public Health Sciences. Now we view, we view the data, it's governing our individual data all the way to the population level. And from the healthcare and the public health, now we don't really make such distinction because data use is that continuum of can use at the individual level and also at the population level, right? So there's a massive, massive data, and we basically without the the advanced computing technology such as machine learning. And we just don't cannot really understand the data anymore because it's so multifaceted and so massive amount of data. We need to make sense of it. Excellent. So this term public health versus health, what is the difference? What does that really mean, public health versus health? Okay. <clears throat> so normally you see the continuum of the health spectrum. You started from... <clears throat> ensure you have a good general, even just a hygiene and uh, the living condition, you have a clean water to drink, you have vaccination to fight against the polio, for example, right? So those ones are traditionally becomes a domain of public health. But now, it, 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 in the way that in the past and the healthcare, it's this, this 
this gigantic hospital or a long-term care facilities, we dealing with the treatment of a disease. But there is actually the health promotion and the creating a better health condition. So that is a public health domain and all the way to the care for the precision medicine to target a particular gene to cure the cancer. That's traditionally a very much of a care domain. But now we realize it's a system that we have to start it from preventing the disease to even from just happening all the way to cure uh, the disease at the personalized uh, treatment. So that's all the way now we realize the data can be used and we need to think systematically rather than a very specific, this is for hospital, this is for public health unit, right? COVID actually is a very good case to show the public health and healthcare and it's absolutely a continuum. It's very tightly connected. So at the at the core of all of this is obviously data and information, yes. and this term health informatics, data informatics. So if you could elaborate further, what is that all about? Yeah. So the health informatics is a term probably being officially come into the vocabulary uh, somewhere around the twenty or fifteen years ago. At that time, mainly focused on how we deal with the electronic patient records and the patient medical records that how we capture them, how we store them, how we prevent them, and how we derive the intelligence, so to speak, the insight, right? Even just doing a Power BI, it's just like doing a spreadsheet, a charts, and to say how many patients going through my ER department today. Those ones are the data insight derived from those those data, and is we call that how our health informatics deal with. Okay, so you took the word insight. So I want to you know, dig in on that. Are these insights for at a regional hospital level? Are these for high level, you know, governments to figure out? Like who, who's, uh, who's hungry for this data? Yeah. So the, the so-called insights, okay. So sometimes we actually take the intelligence a little bit too mysterious. The, the intelligence or insights, it's actually started very much from how many patients I have today. Okay, so that kind of, even just using Excel sheets to see what kind of patient and how many nurses are working in my wards and how many patients are currently occupying the bed. So those ones are insights, right? All the way, so there's a seven, eight layers that depends on which model you look at, all the way to, to saying we call it the prescriptive modeling or AI to say, if I have a particular goal, I want to have, so like in the cancer treatment, for example, if you say, I want to uh, minimize a certain adverse effect, then tell me based on all the data you know, based on all the cases you know, what would be my best kind of a treatment path I can go. And the while, I, while on that treatment path, if I actually, my condition change, right? I becomes kind of a new starting point in any next step to decide what, what's the best treatment for me. Then that is where the insights will come and to, 
driven towards a goal, but actually continuously draw this kind of insight. Who needs this kind of insight? As a patient, definitely I need it, right? So when I go in the public too, and just like giving the COVID case, for example, I need to know how many people probably in my neighborhood uh, have the case, my local hospital and my own condition, whether my symptoms leads to how, how, how risk and appointed to the certain disease or certain chances I have COVID and whether I should go or not to test. So those kind of insight the individual needs to know. But you all know that the your 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 caregivers needs to know, right? So so among the the type of patient and uh, all among the type of uh, population I'm caring for, and I needs to know well well according to these conditions, uh, what kind of decisions I need. So the University of Waterloo, for example, we care for students and the staffs and the faculty members here. So our insights of the data were informing us of this kind of uh, uh, operational and the decisions for us. But of course, at the national level, WHO definitely needs to know those insights. But it's at a very different level. Right. It's a at a population level. So, yeah. so, you know, we don't have to beat around the bush. COVID is obviously front and center <clears throat> on this whole data and data informatics. How did you get started in the COVID uh, data? And um, and I know I noticed you've just put out now a, a, a paper on this after the second lockdown. So let's start about the COVID and then we'll talk about your paper in a minute. Yeah, so <sighs> the COVID is a very interesting case. As a public researcher researcher in the public data domain and uh, you can see that the the insights from the data are revealed is informing the national and the worldwide decision making at the society as a scale probably we haven't seen before in the history right before we cannot collect so much data and uh, in so short time and near real time and uh, in the massive scale. And also you can see that the society react and uh, to this crisis and with kind of a week by week and a day by day type of number to inform us that what we should do, what is the best path we charter this very unknowing uh, path. That is such a data-driven decision-making process, and it's in real play. Okay, so so that is where everybody is dealing with the data, trying to understand the data, and would be come to action, right? So that is our duty and our interest as well, and the golden opportunity of looking at data because never before so much data available to us, and as such fast speed and the government, Ontario government, the Canadian government and the worldwide and they actually put together immediately released a lot of data and for the researchers to make sense of it. So that's where we of course and join the force and of this understanding the data. So obviously I'm guessing University of Waterloo is not alone on this. Are you working with other universities uh, collectively? We um, 
that it's a community that really belongs to a particular university. So you can see that the, for example, U.S. government and uh, uh, announced the this um, this uh, cargo uh, uh, data sets and the, and the data challenges. They released uh, make free of all the po uh, possible like the publications related to the, of that period of time, and then just uh, actually asking uh, the researchers come to meet the challenge and f to say if there's any insight you can offer to the society. I think Professor Jimin Ling, and he answered such challenges as well, and he had his uh, uh, share of his contribution. I think he's featured some, some, some earlier on. But that's a similar thing. We look at the data, we look at actually social media data, we look at the hospital data. We're actually trying to make sense of it and also currently we are working on the infovalence system and it's trying to make it a systematic way that we can detect certain signals and anticipate and have an early warning sign next time for to say if there is another pandemic or emerge public crisis emergency coming upon us we will be a little bit better prepared and using the data we can have, I can tell you what kind of data we find is useful, but any data probably is useful. Excellent. So I'm going to now focus in on this recent paper you came out with, Public Attitudes During the Second Lockdown Sentiment and Topic Analysis. What was that about? Okay. Um, oh, I, okay, so that, that for that paper, and I have to actually track back to our previous paper, and um, which in the in the very beginning of the COVID, and there's a very fast release of information, and the people are just writing paper like crazy, right? So then social media. So you can see that we use in the second paper we also use the social media. Social media is a very interesting platform, and as we can say that, especially during the COVID. 19 cases and then there's a massive amount of opinions and the informations it was disseminated on the social media and the social media for certain generation or group that's their only media we will never they will never go to <laughs> watch the cbc right so that, that's that's a, so only media so it is a powerful tool for us to communicate but it also can be a curse that lots of misinformation and uh, half the so-called I'm using the earmark quoted kind of half truth kind of there's no half truth is truth is truth but it's kind of they blended some some kind of facts but also some speculation and some half true uh, uh, intentionally not truth and the two actually <clears throat> disseminate or come uh, just spread like a wildfire in the social media. So in the beginning, we're just thinking, what did people saying about, what did social media say about us as a society? Mm. What did they say? So we did a systematic review and of what the social media, the researchers and the, using the social media, all kinds of social media 
as their data, right? The data they, they, they post it on social media. And to see people's attitude and what people is, is reacted to the government's uh, responses and how they feel about this, the, the going through the whole very stressful situation. So that leads to the first uh, publication uh, to the Lancet Digital Health publication. And it's been cited almost uh, quite widely and the people continue to say, uh, 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 the people just feel that, yes, this is an important topic and the WHO uh, in turn uh, actually paid lots of attention in the infodemics. They call that the, the pandemic this time, the COVID-19, not only the pandemic of the disease, but it's also the pandemic of the information because there's so many things there. So they, they, they basically, that term of infodemics has been, so my students and the, actually they, they even go to the WHO special training of actually this is a task force deal with the infodemics, right? So that's how to get us into it. But as an engineer, as a researcher of data, of course, we not just uh, review somebody else's paper, but we also want to do something of our own. So we started to look at if we can get a Facebook data, if we can get the search, Microsoft data, Harold, you know that you have made some connections even with us with Microsoft, right? And the Google trained search data, they are all available and uh, openly, uh, Microsoft is not. But but then we actually look at the Twitter and uh, looking at the Reddit, and we look at, eventually I want to look at the YouTube and the imaging, audio, and all the things. And as you can see that the social platform is as uh, the way we voice our sentiment, voice our reaction, and uh, actually voice our opinion of anything, right? And so in the, in, in the, pandemic situation or any public health or healthcare government initiatives, you, you, you want people to speak about it. So that is a platform we cannot ignore. But dealing with that, those kind of data is extremely massively messy. So in the time I in my first 10 years and I deal with the healthcare data, the data actually I continue to deal with the healthcare data and uh, look at the clinical notes and uh, cancer recurrence rate detection, etc. But but compared to social media and those very, very challenging, top challenging natural language processing, machine learning processing topics uh, becomes not even come close because the social media have the different platforms. And if you look at the any machine learning algorithms and the fail short of actually properly teased out such information. So there's a lots, lots of um, research potentials that you can do. You can do many, many PhDs in how to deal with, how to fast the process in those kind of data. So obviously so much work here. Um, and, you know, with your passion leading the charge, talk to us about your team. Okay. So we... As you can see, I always can see that uh, in the beginning, I feel misfit <laughs> in, uh, in uh, trained as an engineer and end up uh, uh, in the in the computer science and uh, and uh, in pu the school of public health. 
but that, that's a nature of the research has to be done this way. There's no other way. You cannot just having people say it's an engineering or computer science lab study this problem versus the public health uh, uh, researchers looking at the disease model, looking at the uh, best intervention. Uh, would look at the behavior model and the sociology, psychology, and etc., and they sit separately. They have to sit together. So our team is always, always the multidisciplinary, and we work together. I was trying hard to um, always co-supervise my student, right? So then sometimes and it's not. Okay, so uh, Jacob has to cut off this this line. I have to say because this is not very <laughs> it's not very favorable for your career. But cut off that line, okay? But but then the the multidisciplinary team and the and the work is very very important. So all my students have actually the co supervisor from computing and from health. Okay, That's and how very how big important. is your team? Okay, so we. My team of, if you counting on them, they they are like a five to ten people permanently here. Right. But actually, the community and the called uh, digital intelligence for public health, mm. it's it's a a community. And if you go to our website, you can see there are multiple um, faculty members. Okay, listed there, and uh, they are very interested, and their students, and uh, our students are all together. So Professor uh, Zahed Bud, Professor Th uh, Samantha Meyer, Professor Craig Jens, Polanyol, and uh, Jim Wallace, and Joe Dubing, all these uh, people have keen interest in data, and also particularly they have students or themselves are very interested in understanding how the social media data can better can inform us about the public and actually how the methods we can develop especially the ai methods we develop can help us draw the insights on a much faster speed and the much better accuracy than we are doing now. So we can actually understand, do our research much faster. And is this insight you're gaining um, right now focused Canada-wide or is it now in other nations and second and third world nations? Like how broad is this research? Yeah. So in the correlation, now I'm not talking about my own research. I'm talking on behalf of that community of DI4PH for public health community. And our research is not just related to Canada. Sometimes we want to. So like our latest publication, it's for Ontario very specifically. But sometimes we would like to do the Canadian wide. And we also want to look at the comparisons of other countries. So for example, Professor Polenio uh, Marata and Professor um, uh, uh, Zahed Bad and with our students. And they actually collaborate with a dentist in Brazil. And they just published the paper about infodemics, about the things in Brazil. 
right? So that that col a collaboration now never before is just uh, really borderless. And besides, also most of the social media data is it's uh, it's published. Uh, there's no border on there. Okay, so so it is it is uh, God. Well, well, this is uh, really exciting. We're, I'm just going to ask you one final thing to wrap up today then. So what's ahead? How do you see this? Uh, how do you see this whole health informatics, public health, uh, you know, all the AI research? What's ahead? Yeah. So the AI research and the, in our um at the School of Public Health, I, I was thinking about even with uh, within the University of Waterloo, particularly the AI in health part, and that they can take in um, many uh, chunks of the research and lots of my excellent colleagues are leading the charge. But in our own <coughs> group, we are very focused on two things. And the one is actually the informatics uh, with regard to the so very related to the public health at the population level uh, types of uh, intervention and the data related to the population and uh, the public health such as the <coughs> vaccination their hesitancy how where are they what kind of things leads to the vaccination hesitancy for example and so that kind of things is what we are very interested in. And eventually what we want to do is to really build a good AI algorithm. But of course, it has to be evolving continuously. And really to listen as a listener, thinking about if now we predict the earthquake or the typhoon or the tornado, you have lots of sensors on the ground. You listen to sense how the ground shaking and how the wind change and then build a model and uh, warn you, okay, tornado is going that way on your path and you get better prepared. So we want also to look at if the social media, the signals we can listen from the social media, right? And to detect a certain things coming. So currently our postdoc and the PhD was looking at if there is a correlation of the social, the signals we lessened in the social media and correlated the cases of the COVID as a, as a kind of building our model and the, and then inform us there's a hypothesis that yes, they can. We can have some, distill some signals from the social media data. And then we build an end-to-end infovalence kind of surveillance systems. And we listen to imagine if there are lots of charters, lots of signals coming, and if we can distill a certain meaningful signal, right? And then we can actually giving us a little warning or leads. And besides also we are hoping to um, look at, connect with a local or, or national, the hospital systems, the visits to the walking clinic, the labs of the certain pathogens and the certain things suddenly have a surge. So if you actually look at this kind of connection and the informing each other, and they will, we will be much better prepared even just uh, seven days before you really, the case hit your 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 clinics and the heated local ER system will be much better off, right? 
So we can see, yes, so that is how we, going, we, are, we are working towards that goal of uh, infovalence system and the using the social media signal and connect with the, some kind of aggregated data from the local hospital and you actually having that system, just like building uh, 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 warning systems for your earthquake uh, warning systems. Awesome. Well, this is great. I've learned two new terms today, infodemic and infovalence. So thanks again for joining our Let's Talk AI today. And uh, uh, you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.